0: Live from Red Bull Studios, New York. I'm in love with my life. Hey, this is Mary H.K. Choi, and you're listening to Hey, Cool Job, a podcast about jobs. Our guest today is my very good friend, Eddie Wong, chef and owner of Bauhaus, host of Wong's World on Vice, as well as the author of Fresh Off the Boat and Double Cup Love. He basically has all
1: the cool jobs. I'm in love with my life. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Mary? I'm
0: well. Thank you for asking. So you do, you know, have a lot of jobs. Yeah. What do you say when people just ask you what you do?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's funny. The people that, the only people that really understand it are like Chinese people or Jamaicans. Jamaicans, like, exactly. Jamaicans <laughs> yeah. and Chinese people all have like fucking 20 jobs.
0: The ill hyphenate. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a lemonade stand and a bar and a restaurant. But no, like, um... Yeah, I, I think that for me, I really, uh, I don't like to identify by job and it's not to be difficult, but it's really for my own sanity. Because, you know, I remember when people wanted to call me a chef and I was like, nah, don't call me a chef. Like, because then there's the expectations of what chefs do. Like, I don't want to carry a side of pork on my shoulder. Right. Uh, or
0: just be overfed wherever you go. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I feel like every industry, like, I I, I love I love writing. But mm-hmm. I also don't identify as a writer because then it's, it feels like, you know, I live in Bergen Hill and have cats. So, you know, <laughs> right. And are poor. Yeah, which you're not. <laughs> yeah I'm not poor. <laughs> don't want to be identified as poor. But no, I mean, uh, I, I, I write, I host things, I, I cook food. But at the end of the day, I really feel like my job with this life that I have is to just like get closer to the truth. You know, everything I do is trying to get closer to the truth and and really take advantage of my time and have a good time and leave it, like, not feeling like I didn't do something I wanted to do.
0: So, I mean, do you have a favorite job or is that just part of the territory, too, that you just, like, in that moment of whatever you're doing? It's, like, part of, like, the vision and the mission.
1: I think the the thing that I open up the most in and I get closest to this idea of the truth or, like, the most honest is when I write.
0: Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like, you know, people kind of get into this media hierarchy where they're like, you know, you have a really good TV show on Mm -hmm. Vice, which is like really sexy. And like, you sold another TV show to fucking network television, which is very, very sexy. And but you return to books. I mean, your new your new book is coming out in a week. And you come back and like certain people, not me, because I, I too love writing, but it seems like slumming. And yet you return to it.
1: Yeah, it pays the least. It definitely pays you know, the least. Yeah, and uh, but I like it because I think that a lot of times, um, things that I can say in person in my walking life, I may even be able to say on camera. Uh, there's something final, and there's something really personal and judgment day ish about writing. Yeah. So when I write something and I have to see it on paper and face it, I'm like, oh, this feels final. Like, this feels final. There's no context, there's no music, there's no fashion, there's no other guests to distract you, there's no food. This is just words on paper. Right. And I think that because there's nothing else to prop it up or distract you, like, there's a finality to writing that I really like and that I really respect and I'm kind of, like, fearful and of.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I guess it goes back to the truth. It's, like, a very stripped-down version of you in terms of, like, how much you lay bare.
1: Yeah, the book was the hardest thing I've done.
0: Yeah, the book... I mean, the, oh God, you know my feelings about this book. It's so raw and like unlike your first book, it's a situation where your POV is coming from you as an adult, which strangely is almost a more vulnerable position to come from because that is these are words that you have to stand by as a person wa- walking around the world.
1: Yeah, as a kid, you can look back and be like, oh, that's not me anymore. It's or, a little more endearing and cute.
0: Yeah, and it's also, it, that's the part about the first book. It's like... That Eddie is so cute and those moments are so cute. And even just like things like nostalgia, like those things can prop up a situation. But this new book is like very, very vulnerable and raw. And speaking of finality, though, I thought what was really interesting and it was kind of like a, you know, Life of Pablo moment is that you wrote the epilogue after the book. And that really was some Kanye shit where you're like.
1: I'm done, but I'm not done. It's still alive. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, feelings don't end when you turn a book in. Right. And even like I go back and I'm really proud of Fresh Off the Boat, but I go back and read it and it's hard to read because- Really? I, yeah. I think I've grown a lot since I wrote that book. Like I was a real angry kid and I had a lot to say and I feel like the first book is very much a cold arms, you know, for yes. people who's anyone felt different. Um, I don't know if that's a phrase. People, who's anyone to <laughs> but I mean, this is how I talk. You know, Very call to
0: arms and feeling. You know, different. Yeah.
1: And and so I felt like when I wrote that book, I was a kid that's been silenced my whole life, who's been told I don't really have a place in America. Yeah. And with that book, I carved it out. And yeah, that was like the it.
0: the ill blueprint shit, where it's like I didn't have anyone to look up to in this space, and now I have to be this person for other people.
1: Yeah, and I I did it for other people that had similar experiences to me, to myself, and it felt like it was a team effort, you mm. know? And I remember, like, you were at the book launch at Barnes & Noble. I remember just kept saying, like, it takes a village. And then we're in the club later, and you're, like, drunk whispering to people, it takes a village, <laughs> which was true. comical. And Evan, that was Evan's favorite part of the book launch party is Mary running around well, Southside telling people you it know takes what? a village. You were, you
0: were our dog in the race. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it was me, Phil Chang, fucking Kenzo, fucking Minya, like your brother, like all of us were like, yes, this is it. You yeah. know, like there was a vacuum and now you're up there. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of all that, like I love going back to your epilogue. It is a very heartfelt epilogue and I won't get into any spoilers about it, but because you should definitely cop the book and pre-order that shit yes. right now. Um, But I love the fluidity with which you talk to your audience.
1: Yeah. I try to just talk to them like they're sitting next to me and yeah. I don't try to dumb anything down, nor do I try to talk, at them or to them it's like I'm just talking and you know I'm I'm hearing myself as I'm talking but the second book to me is very personal like you said it's much more raw it's much more immediate it's me now Mm -hmm. and um it was trying to say like all right my life has been a reaction up until this point reacting to the way America's kind of put me down Mm -hmm. and put me in this weird space that I don't feel comfortable in but now that I have a platform and I've found success and I've found acceptance I had to reinvent myself and I had to like deal with this like dealing when you're somebody who's always been the underdog it's yeah. very weird to all of a sudden be accepted and to be loved for things that you're saying that you've been saying your whole life but people didn't like right and all of a sudden now they like what you're saying so the second book is going back to China yeah to be like you know what outside of excuse me outside of like America outside of fans outside of like industry outside of like whatever people on Amazon Who am I like I need to hear myself and so that's why the book starts off with like this really bad Panic attack. I had eating weed at the NBA all-star weekend, right and it just that's
0: like a moment of reckoning (laughs) Yeah,
1: and the book really runs downhill from the prologue all the way to the end and it's just this insane trip that you know lands me at, at this kind of feeling that at the core of everything we do, whatever your race is, Korean, Taiwanese, Chinese, Jamaican, Puerto Rican, is that you know we look at symptoms like how we dress or how we talk or how we eat food, but the thing that really defines us and our values is how we love each other. And the way that like cultures and identities and countries legislate love and, and the way that we do this thing, this dance that's like the last dance on earth, yeah. I think is really at the core of society and identity.
0: Totally. The thing that I found really, really interesting about this book is a fucking, not only is it vulnerable because you're an adult speaking about adult experiences, but as any sort of product of the diaspora can tell you, going home, you know, a lot of us are like threatened by it. Like our parents be like, you fuck up again, and I'm sending you back to yeah, the mainland yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And you return home, not only willingly, But you cook there. Yeah. Which really is like going home and opening yourself up to like YouTube commenters. Because that is like, people can be really savage about talking about food. And not only that, but like you make beef noodle soup, which is like really everybody's going to have a fucking like opinion on that shit. And why? Why be like so open, opening up yourself to rejection on like such a grand scale?
1: I just feel like when you're a child of the diaspora, this is like, this is the battle you have to fight when you're like brown belt senior. You may have done everything <laughs> totally, you can in this country. You won if, on
0: some other turf. Yeah. yeah
1: but if you ever want to be a black belt, you kind of have to go home. And at least for me, because food's meant so much to me. Yeah. And my identity is like, I had to go back to the motherland and make engagement chicken and be like, will you have me? Yes. You know?
0: No, but like, who does that? Yeah. That's like- It's like, was it scary for you?
1: Super scary, but that's what I don't think white people realize is they have the luxury of knowing who they are here and not having that challenge. There's this, like, I don't think white people wake up and they're like, man, am I authentically white? Like, we wake up and I'm like, am I actually Chinese? Am I actually Taiwanese? Like, if I go home, what are people going to think of me? And ever since you're a kid, it is, like... This boogeyman to go home. Yeah. Like, you might get athlete's foot, you might get bird (laughs) flu. They're, you know, you might see a dead dog in the market. And you go back... In the world. Yeah. yeah, you go see your aunts and uncles or cousins or whatever, and they have something to say like, oh, he's wasteful. You see like the extra meat on that chicken bone mm. he left? Or it's like, you see the way he wiped that table? Yeah, that didn't That table's use Windex. still dirty. Yeah. He just smeared the oil into the table more, you know? Totally. And you're just judge. You're just like, I'm so not good at being savage. Yeah,
0: totally, <laughs> totally. But why... Why go back and do that once you've had a little bit su- of success? Was that just like a head check? You wanted it going into the next chapter of your life? Like where were you
1: at? To me personally, it just roots matter a lot to me. Yeah, it really matters to me to have a connection of where I'm from, and I think that without I don't think it spoils the book, but the thing that I was wrong about is that I don't need to be accepted by the motherland. Oh shit, You know that's, yeah, the that's thing. actually
0: super valuable. It
1: started off as me going home and wanting to be accepted and their answer was like, look, everything you're making is fire and we love you, but honestly, you didn't need to ask us. You're Chinese, you're Taiwanese, and no matter what you do, this is who you are. And one day you were gonna come to this. One day you were gonna embrace this and one day you were gonna understand and form for yourself the values and ideas that form your identity. And so it was fucking magical.
0: That's some matrix shit, dude. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's really important. I think whoever you are, whatever you are, um, you gotta go home. Even like, look, if you're seven generations Irish-American, go home. Yeah. It it really has a profound effect. It's very important. And so I know I, I had just said like, white people don't have to wake up and like think about if I'm authentically white. But it's actually like a ruse because mm. they should think about it. Yeah, they I mean that mono consciousness
0: like has to end at some point. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's like even white people are getting tricked because you're a lot more complicated, and there is a history, and there are roots to like what you are. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like you guys will be kinder masters if you fucking get in touch with this. Right,
0: <laughs> <laughs> white people got to get genuinely woke. It's yeah. true. Please. Uh, do you, you know, actually speaking about the the white POV. I've been watching your um, new travel show. I guess it's the same travel show, but it's called Wong's World instead of Fresh Off the Boat, and it's now on Viceland. And it is such a trip to watch a travel show that isn't from a white point of view.
1: Yeah. yeah. I
0: mean, because it's the, it's the assumptive role. Yeah. And so when you open a Jamaica episode on, you know, the GDP like the amount of debt they're in to the fucking banks and like all that shit and you just open with it. Yeah. It's really jarring. Mhm. And like you ask a lot of really uncomfortable questions like in your VO opener.
1: Yeah, because I think in this country like we've all been fooled and and one thing I do want to point out and I'm really glad you asked this question is that like when I say white people I'm talking about dominant culture. I'm sure. not talking about individual white people. You're not people. talking
0: about like voiceless poor people who are yeah.
1: Yeah, there is this idea cuz it's just like the idea of Chinese people it's it's a misnomer. Like China is full of hundreds and thousands of ethnicities yeah. that have become this idea siloed as Chinese, but it's like it's not accurate. Just like using the term white people is pretty inaccurate. But when I'm using it, I'm talking about it in terms of a dominant culture. Because let's take Jamaica as an example, which you pointed out. You know, in the media, the monoculture that we have in America, they've made us feel like Jamaica is just this tourist place mm. with reggae and dance hall and really fast people and great, great weed. You know, and it was funny because you know what? The weed wasn't that fantastic. Like the weed in Cali it's was California much <laughs> more fire. Yeah. But the weed that I liked in Jamaica was the all natural. And it's like a much more steady high. Yeah, it's a functional high and it's clean. So I like that.
0: There's a body high element to it. There's yeah. a body
1: high element. I loved it. But um, yeah, you know, I, I just wanted Americans to understand the role that we play politically and economically in their plight. Yes. You know, like there are countries that are under our thumb and with our politics, with the things that we do, we are responsible. And I think we have to be aware of this. And so I've the the cities we chose and the places we went, I chose them on purpose because I felt like the image that we have in our heads of these countries in America is totally skewed. So I went there to be like, let's have the locals tell us who they think they are.
0: Yes. And actually that sort of tension is uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and it's not a typical travel show in the sense that like it's just like food porn or like, you know, basically like FOMO Instagram type shit like office today, like legs on a beach, whatever. It's like you never know what you're going to do. And there's definitely moments where you like break the fourth wall and you're like, fuck this. This is so fucked
1: up. Yeah, because I, it's exactly the fourth, breaking the fourth wall is a huge convention that I think we created on this show for food and travel that you don't see all the time.
0: Ever. And that's another thing that I'm like, oh, I never noticed this was missing.
1: Yeah, but I did it because it really mirrors the goal of the show, which is to tear down the walls that are between people. Because I don't think people in America or Jamaica wake up wanting to be prejudiced or biased or like you know, rude to each other. Yeah. But what happens is, is there's people, there are a few people in this world that want to control the way we think about each other because they benefit from it. Of course. They make money The off global of economy,
0: absolutely. Yeah,
1: and it's by creating tribes and tribalism and the clash of civilizations that countries are able to survive and countries are able to persist because we've been tricked into this idea that we need sovereign states in this social contract. Mm. But like, the more and more that we have, the less and less we need government in the social contract. And what I try to do is remove the players besides the people.
0: Yeah, you're you're removing a lot of the stock character types that are just sort of usually introduced in this dynamic of a travel show.
1: Yeah, and we try to just be like, look, American people, Jamaican people play with each other.
0: So, you know, we're talking about you as a travel guide, which is a very specific role. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people like, quote, unquote, the indigenous people who are so, quote, beautiful to like these humanitarians that deign to visit them. They have such an expectation to feed into what's expected of them. Yeah. And instead I see someone like you sort of roll up and people don't know how to play with you. Yeah. And so that's really fascinating because we see a viewpoint that one seems a lot more honest and two you know you guys can jointly make fun of white people and it creates this kinship and it changes the entire tenor of the following conversation about food
1: yeah cuz around the world I'm a total alien you know yes
0: people don't know what th- it, and that's amazing
1: yeah like the way i sound the way i look the, the way, way i dress, dress yeah. they're just like this man is an alien and it works you know i when we go to asia no one ever believes i'm the host they always look at CV, who's our DP, the yeah. cameraman, and he's like around six six foot tall. He's like white, blonde hair, blue eyes, yeah. and like good looking man. And they're always like, he's the host. And he's like, no, 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 Eddie's the host. And they literally, the Asian people will look at me and laugh and be like, hey, that's funny. <laughs> that guy, that, that chubby guy's not the host. And so it always throws him for a loop. But I, it's really interesting to see like racism around the world.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. It doesn't make me mad. It's Actually, just like curious. And that's what we finally get with this show. Like racism around the world, which is basically the most honest viewpoint you'll see of anywhere around the world. It's like how they process racism.
1: Yeah, and then we're not trying to punish people. No. We're not trying to You're not making fun
0: of them in editing or in post. Yeah,
1: then define and categorize them and (laughs) silo them. It's (laughs) just like, yo, this is life. Like, can we just accept the footage that life is giving us? No,
0: and it's amazing. Like, you know, I feel like a lot of the asides or a lot of the weird jokes, like you guys leaving in, you know, after you like butcher a goat and it's a very hallowed moment and it's a very serious moment. And then your man with the cleaver gets his a call baby from mom. his mom. <laughs> yeah, his, his baby, baby mama mom calls. calls him. That was golden and brilliant. Um, So in terms of like, you know, being an Asian host, do you feel tremendous pressure pressure in being like an Asian pop culture ambassador?
1: No, because I never felt like I even fit into being an Asian American. Like, oh, I knew shit. I was. And I was like, I'm confident that I am Asian American, despite what everybody at Chinese school says or right. a potluck says. But um, I've been an outsider even within the Asian community, like pretty much my whole life.
0: Because of the minority, like the model minority thing or what?
1: Yeah. And, and you know, I remember kids even in law school that I remembered would call me black or be like, oh, you're a little ratchet for an Asian, you know. <laughs> and now that I've been successful, they want me to go talk at their nonprofits and yada right. yada and i'm like i remember you son like don't act all brand new with me
0: you're like my honorarium is twenty thousand dollars <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah i got the memory of an elephant with people so do you yeah do you yeah. have like
0: an ongoing tally of like i remember you oh yeah oh, oh yeah nice. oh yeah i love that petty shit yeah 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 <laughs> the yeah. best
1: yeah my mom always said this about me she was like eddie's the type like you do him dirty he will not punch you back immediately he oh, will he wait till he gets the <laughs> discount on revenge
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is
1: so you yeah
0: um so speaking of your mom like you know the indomitable jessica yeah so she is the most
1: powerful th- jedi
0: ever ever yeah. the force has always been strong in that yeah. one um now that she's kind of more public facing do you feel like protective
1: of her Nah, I don't need to protect my mom. She for real has like the infinity gauntlet. Like I'm convinced.
0: <laughs> does she read the comments though, like in life?
1: Nah, she doesn't care. She just oh, looks at the amazing. bank account. She does not care. Yeah, my yeah. mom, my mom is the original no fucks given, you know? <laughs> she, searching for fucks. Oh man. My mom, I don't she's just like nerves of steel. You know? I I really really respect my mom. My mom always taught me to like be proud of my it was funny because she always taught me to be proud of myself and love myself but then she just mentally beat the shit out of me (laughs) so it's funny do you it's almost my mom is like uh tommy chong in half-baked where he's like chill nasty nate he's my bitch it's like no one's making fun (laughs) of this kid but me
0: right so i mean have you learned anything from her especially like these days
1: yeah i uh you know, obviously, all my cooking and food knowledge comes from my mother. You know, mm-hmm. she's the one that taught me a lot about food. Uh, you know, my dad is the one that's really taught me to be patient and to, like, see things with a bird's eye view, calm down, create space between you and whatever it is that you're, like, considering. My dad is a much more methodical, slow thinker. My mom is very reactionary. hot-headed. Yeah, so I'm lucky I have, like, two opposite parents.
0: Totally. So are they finally coming ter- to terms now with the fact that you're not practicing law anymore? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was even, it was. I think it was finally six months ago, but even until six months really? ago, my mom's like, hey, you know, if you like cashed out, you cashed out, you could take all the money you got and like open a really nice law firm. She's still, <laughs> six months ago was like that. But now she's like, okay, I get it. Show's good. Show's good. Since like Wong's World came out, she's like, all right, the show's good. Right, right, right. Uh, I believe in this. Where you now. got a budget. Yeah, yeah, I like this. Now she's like asking Mark, our, our book agent, she's asking Mark to sell a cookbook for her. She should. Yeah. Holy I shit. I feel like she should. And she's like, way all about doing this cookbook.
0: Amazing. Also, you know he, he gets deals for those cookbooks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah totally. he does. Because he wanted me to write a cookbook. I don't want to do it. I was like, my mom will write it. So, well, they'll figure what it out.
0: is your next? I mean, let's talk about this next book and then we'll talk about the book after that conceivably. But, Double Cup Love, what does that mean? And are you, like, a huge Drake fan? I'm so confused. No,
1: I didn't even know it was a Drake lyric. It actually upset me when I found out it was a Drake lyric. But, you know, he didn't invent this term.
0: No, he certainly didn't. But that is, like, a very... I mean, a lot of, like, children will be like, oh, this man really rides for Drake.
1: Yeah, I noticed that. When I put it on Instagram, there were children that were like, oh, it's Drake. And I was like, shut up. (laughs) But, um, no, we've had the title for a while. And... The title really is is because the main character, besides myself in the book, is my love interest in the time, mm. Dina. And I met her drinking scissor at the turkey's nest. And since I met her, it was just like, it was a trip, you know? Fell in love. I think it was the first time. You know, I've, I'd told people I'd been in love and no disrespect, but I don't think I really knew love or understood it until I met this woman. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was amazing, it was life-changing, um, and then it was over, Yeah, you know? And I don't think that gives the book away at all because it's about the journey, it was about going down the rabbit hole, it was about trying, it was about being vulnerable, and it really felt like taking drugs. Like, love was the most powerful drug that I have been hit by, and it literally took 18 months to get over it. And I was not able to write the epilogue in the book, you know, and the book ends, the book just ends mm-hmm. and I like it. I like it. The book is very much a, um, it's bullish on love. Like, yes, it's very bullish on love. It's, it's very emo as fuck. Yeah. And I just, I honestly think that's why we're here. You know, I really think that is the most powerful thing I've experienced and it's why we're here. And despite how mine turned out, I would do it again if I met somebody in a second, you know, right on. and, um, that's why I ended the book where I did. But for myself personally, I wrote an epilogue last week because I was finally able to let things go and admit that it was over. And that's what I was talking about earlier about the page. Like I've been lying to people for a year and a half like, yeah, I'm over it. Yeah, I don't love her anymore. Yeah. I was lying. I could not write that epilogue. I tried to write that epilogue so many times, like literally 30 drafts. Could not do it. And all of a sudden, you know, I think my life had come full circle. It had been enough time, and I could just say, you know what? I lost. I took an L. You win. Cool.
0: Well, and the thing that I love about that is that, you know, Everybody has this sort of like gravitas about books and books are these like sort of like closed circuits. And then you tore that book and then the next book is this other thing. And I think actually it's just a very modern take. I find it sort of realistic and contemporary that like much like Kanye West, you were like, no, no, I'm not done, though. And I talk to the people I talk to. And why do we pretend that media isn't what it is? So I'm going to talk to people for New York mag and put it out there. Yeah. And I, I find that format sort of like mind blowing. Yeah. Cause I, who's done that before?
1: Yeah. I don't think anyone else, I don't know anyone else that wrote their epilogue to their book on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the end of the book is on the internet. And then also we led with the book, like our big kind of like publicity for it. Uh, the big, you know, writers always write some sort of article yeah. in advance of the book and our, advance of the book was the epilogue. And it's, it's kind of in defiance of chronology. It's in defiance of the finality of books. And it's kind of in defiance of what we know as literature and books. So I like it. And I didn't think about it. I just did it. And now I'm like, this is super interesting that the end of the book is online and available before people read the book.
0: Sure. But the thing is, it's like, you know, we talk a lot about you, you know, breaking stereotypes and like all breaking the mold and like this is just to me another example like not to be like slobbish or whatever where I'm just like wow like you didn't ask anyone's permission yeah you just did it you didn't presume that people were like I don't get it so what, what, this is the beginning or what is epilogue you know yeah. it's like you just put it out there and you were like listen I'm gonna give everyone the benefit of the doubt and not only that it was like a really heartfelt thing and you know I know the answer to this because you and I talked about this before it we talked about the essay before it went out but like this was not a publicity stunt for you
1: no it was hard i got cut and i couldn't admit it for a long time you're
0: just bleeding out (laughs) Yes,
1: bleeding out preparing to be sushi in the next life yeah yeah um but no i was like i can write this i can do this now i'm gonna do this and who cares what the timing is we're just putting this out and I think it's cool. I think it's really cool because it challenges a lot of things. And I think I, I would encourage people: if you're creating, like, don't worry about how other people roll their shit out. Just do it.
0: That's actually like really key advice. Like, and I think you're really good at that. Like, you don't fetishize your output in this like fucking precious way. I mean, like, obviously you're very good at what you do, but you're like put it out.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's just work. It's cool. It's fun. It's you know, honest, and you hope people connect with it, but what are you gonna do? Like, Let bury it? Live, it? yeah. Who's that shorty? Emily Dickinson? Is she the one that hit all her shit forever?
0: Yeah. Forever. What are your hopes for this second book?
1: Man. You know, my hope for all my work is that it helps people see that we're much more similar than we are different. I think it's the common theme to all my work. It's like, yo, fuck all this. Being different.
0: balkanizing shit, yeah.
1: Yeah, I I don't like segregation. I don't like, you know, siloing. I'm just like, look, we are so much more similar than we are different. Stop letting things divide us. And also, um, there's nothing better to do than fall in love. And it's a beautiful thing. And get out of the street and fucking do it. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Like, young dudes like myself, stop fucking around, you know,
0: don't spend too much time on Raya.
1: Don't, don't, you know. <laughs>
0: spend just enough time. Just
1: spend just enough time on Raya to meet somebody nice. But no, the thing is, is like, man, I think that there are a lot of pressures as a man in this world to like be a G and be this conqueror and spread your seed and be like young Genghis Khan. But you know what? That, that never made nobody happy. Yeah. But that's so. like
0: a revolutionary thing to say. I think that it's on brand for someone who actually knows you but it's also slightly off-brand
1: yeah because i mean i love going to strip clubs more than anybody it's true and you know i there's another thing where i'm like i feel i can reconcile it in my mind and it doesn't make sense to other people that i'm like this big on romance and yada yada but then i also love strip clubs but i just i like to listen to music and like smell butts so (laughs) you know shoot me
0: right you're like glitter is fine um You're in a Sprite commercial. Yeah. Is that like the signal of knowing that you've definitely made it?
1: (laughs) You know, it was funny. The New York Times did an interview with me and they asked me, they said, all right, of of the book, of the shows, of, you know, the restaurant, what makes you the most bread? And I was like, Sprite.
0: Really? Really?
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: That was just like, they were like here.
1: For like two days, Sprite
0: amazing so here's a very strange question i love,
1: I love it i love sprite thank you sprite <laughs> i love because it enables me to do what i want to do
0: so you put that money aside and you're like all right this is great this is like seed money for other shit
1: yeah i mean like uh you know doing entertainment the thing and look i'm not complaining about this the reality of the shit is you know if if this is, if it's your first year and you broke bread and you did well on a show yeah you get this big check then your agency takes this. Your manager takes this. Your attorney takes this. Then the government takes this. And I don't complain about it at all. Everybody, you earned it, take it, mm. right? If you didn't earn it, I'm going to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Because we have had those talks. Really? Um, yeah. Okay. But then the thing is, is that you look at it and you're like, all right, this is a good paycheck for a year, but how long is this career going to last?
0: Oh, shit. This is like TLC math, right? Like when yeah. you're basically doing the the tour and recouping and like how much it all costs.
1: Yeah. And, and then so your agents will say, hey, you're not going to be able to do this forever. We need to sell a young adult book. We need to sell a cookbook. You should do MTV. You should do yada, yada, yada. And you know what? I did some of those things, and they're heartbreaking, and it's terrible, and I didn't enjoy it at all. We did a show on Pivot. Sure did. I'll say it was terrible. You don't have to say anything. Um, I, just,
0: I kept eating off that shit. Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to stay here and make this bread.
1: But you know what? I was like- why don't I just do a commercial? Let me do some endorsements instead of doing work that I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily proud of. Yeah. The one thing I will say is this. Every single project I went into, I went into with hope because somebody told me I was going to be able to be honest, I was going to be able to be truthful, and I was going to do it. And if people watch all of my shows, you'll see in them, I'm really trying hard. But sometimes the man is just so much more powerful than you. Is that
0: what you learned from ABC?
1: Uh... ABC broke me, but they're the one that even in something that I may have felt at one time, I took an L. That's been an extreme success,
0: huge success. Three seasons,
1: like I saw that you. um, It's one of the things I've been the most right and wrong about. Interesting, you know, like I've been very for people who may not know. For ABC, I was very right about my criticism, which was that it doesn't go far enough, and that like I want to see more honest depictions of asian americans i want things that are less serving jokes serving a time slot serving advertisers right and kind of like telling universal white stories with yellow faces and again when i say white i mean dominant cultural stories that get sutured within 22 minutes but the thing i was wrong is that this was a positive step to solve that problem fresh off the boat is not the problem the problem is that we've started so far back. Yeah. And that fresh off the boat is literally ground zero. And we have to build on this. We have to build on this momentum. And I think that my main point was, guys, we're not there yet. Don't celebrate because we have a lot of work to do. But that is a good point. I attacked it and the one thing I will say is that fresh off the boat is not the problem. Fresh off the boat is part the beginning. Of a larger, larger solution that okay. a lot of other people need to join in and help out with.
0: But it did, it did move the needle, and that is the Trojan horse. And you yeah. do get a character like Constance Wu.
1: Yeah, you know, Constance is one of the greatest things that's happened out of that show, dude. And,
0: and it's been 21 years since we had an Asian show, man. That's like 21 years. Yeah. Like think, like think about that. That's so fucked up. I mean,
1: I remember how big it was for me to see Margaret Cho, and it was huge. And then she was gone and taken away from us after in one, one season. season. And I just, I look at some of these kids that run up on me and I'm like, you know what? I'm glad they got their fresh prints.
0: Thank you. And that's the thing, like, they'll take it and they should. And we, sh- I mean, not that we should be glad or grateful, God forbid. I mean, but it is moving the needle. It's and the like, big
1: thing is to not be grateful. It's yeah. like, look, we got more to go. And, totally. And it's also, you know what? I hope people of dominant culture support us because to be honest, this is good for you. Like, Diversity is good for all of us. Like, it's good for business. It really is. You know, if America is a business, which it is, it's good for business.
0: Yeah, as soon as we get that, like, Latin slot, because, like, everyone's looking for that TV show, like, now it's like, then we'll be finally moving in the right direction to me.
1: Yeah, I don't know why people fight it or try to be like, I own this country, this is my country. Like we wanna tell these stories that are essentially American. It's like, you look at at hip hop and what we've been able to do. It's been great for the American brand.
0: No kidding, and that's in one lifetime. That's like within our lifetime basically, Yeah. yeah.
1: And that's not how I see hip hop, but that's how I explain it to people in charge who like have the purse strings. And I'm like, listen fam, let us people of color create some fire shit for you. All mm-hmm. right? Because we know how to make this fire shit. It's true. And you know what? Your country's going to benefit and we'll export it around the world. And whether you or your kids relate to it or not doesn't matter. It's good for your fucking business.
0: Totally. It's that Kelsey Grammer doing all those black shows. It's like, yeah, just do it. Do uh, it. So, in terms of like, I mean, is your second book going to be in a show? Like, what's going on with that?
1: Oh, uh, no idea. Uh, you know, 20th Century Fox owns the rights to me as a character, which is super fucking strange. Yeah, so I'm owned as a character. So,
0: what about your family?
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. What does that feel like? It's like, you know, it pissed me off for a while, but But it is what it is. Yeah, now you're the emoji with dollar signs where the eyes are. Yeah. It's cool. Um, I mean, it's not cool, but it's. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's Hollywood, man. In terms of being like all Hollywood and shit, what's the crucial infrastructure of doing business as a you? Like, I know you have a literary agent, Mark. We have the same agent. Do you also have like a Hollywood agent? Do you have management? Do you have multiple lawyers? Like, what's the infrastructure?
1: Yeah, mine is different. And I think that what people should know is that entertainment. Don't feel like you need to have the same structure as other people, and anyone that tries to build a team around you that looks like other people's teams is With just like giant fucking teeth. Money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and um, you know, my thing started. Uh, Mark Gerald found me on the internet, mm-hmm. and I was writing on my blog, The Pop Chef, back in the Blogspot days. Back in the day, by the way, I'm just burping because like I did the Complex Hot Ones interview, so I'm a disaster. But um, yes, where I ate like ten buffalo wings, you just super, fried super your face hot. off.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's like licking the back of a poisonous like frog. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, it's it's bad stuff that's happened to me today. But anyway, no. So Mark Gerald found me when I was writing on a blog. He liked my writing, and he told me that I had a book in me. And then I didn't actually hire Mark off jump because Mark is a quirky man, and I wasn't sure what he was about. Mm-hmm. And I did the rounds. I met other book agents, and. uh everyone wanted me to do a cookbook and I was like no I don't want to do a cookbook I want to write a memoir and agents didn't really believe in it and I came back around to mark and he's like I believe you can do this let me find you an editor to help you with your proposal and I was like I already wrote the proposal he's like what are you talking about so I gave him the pages I'd written and he's like all right this is good but we still should put an editor on this to give you a little feedback yeah and we did the proposal sent it out sold the book immediately um chris jackson spiegel and grau bought fresh off the boat um within like five days of the proposal and chris
0: jackson is a huge deal he did jay-z's book he's like the guy who can like usher in these books
1: yeah there's a really really good new york times piece on chris and talking about kind of like the black literary movement that he has created yeah you know ta-nehisi coates westmore mk asante jay-z all right for chris you know and you know i'm I I write with Chris. He's my favorite. And um, then Amir Shakalili at WME found me. And uh, I started working with Amir. I was working with Amir for like three years. And he was fantastic. But I moved on. I just feel like I had a different vision. And um, I have new agents now. But the guy...
0: Within WME? No, no,
1: no. I'm at UTA. But the guy that has been with me the whole time... um, the glue to this whole thing is Rafael Martinez. Mm, and Raph, yeah. he is my best friend, he's my attorney, and he's my manager, and I met him 10 years ago in the hallway in law school. And I was at the time the minority law student's president. Raf was one year behind me, and he had sent an email before school even started in the summer. He's like, my name is Rafael A. Martinez. I would like to inquire about being the vice president of the Minority Law Students Association. Kind regards. You know what I mean? Sounds like him. Yeah, super, totally. Super, super fucking yeah. funny and formal. I was like, all right, cool, bro. You got it. And he was like, I don't know if, like, then he responded with other stuff, and it was funny because he thought I wasn't taking him seriously. Seriously, yeah. But what he didn't realize is there was like maybe... 30 to 50 students of color because we were at a yeshiva school all right (laughs) Cardozo, right yeah Yeah. at Cardozo, we were at Cardozo yeshiva and i was just like sure man you want to be vice president come on in like it's it's yours there ain't nobody else signed up for this and um he just kept emailing me to try to keep in touch and be like i'm very interested in this position i was like yeah bro you got it and he didn't realize that when i said like you got it it meant like you have the position right right
0: right versus it's like ditto or like cool tie yeah. Like, yeah
1: yeah so then he rolls up on me in the hallway and this fool's wearing like turquoise creative recreation sneakers this wow six three puerto rican man and and
0: based off of that you weren't just like i'm sorry the position has been filled.
1: <laughs> no this was at the time when like creative rec was at barney's and like fair, fair. i think people thought you can it see was how it would happen. an acceptable thing to have yeah. on your foot <laughs> and so rap rap has a very, very soft handshake, super funny, very grace. Hi, I'm Rafael Martinez. It's nice to meet you, I've been emailing you. I was like, yeah, bro, you got it. He's like, listen, I like what Still is the, with the process, cell, yeah. yada, yada? I was like, here, step into our office. <laughs> and the minority law student's office shared it with like the Asian students and all the other yeah, students, yeah, yeah. and I was like, this is the office, you're the vice president. He's like, well, thank you, <laughs> you know? Yeah, my first order of the business is to thank you. <laughs> yeah, and we're sitting there, and I was like, all right, meeting adjourned.
0: <laughs> no but and, that's kind of amazing so like you don't have a typical like infrastructure for your business no. and like the fact that you are also a lawyer i'm sure is like a yeah, huge it helped benefit. a lot that helped a
1: lot and i could smell things out that people were telling me that were not true early on and raf has always had my back we've been best friends since that day yeah when i started bergdorf hoodman the clothing line raf was My sales guy (laughs) selling is calling stores, so he also has a lot of jobs. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. he would call stores selling Hoodman, and then when we threw parties, he was there collecting money at the door. And you know, then when we did Bauhaus, he's in the kitchen. And so, Raf's cut pork belly at Bauhaus, nice. And he's been with me every step of the way. I get excited, I get happy when I talk about this dude because I just I love him. And he's, I can't do anything I've done without this fool.
0: Do you? Is that, like, an important person, like, in terms of, like, would you suggest to, like, the next Eddie or the whomever that, like, stay with one of those?
1: Like, LeBron has Maverick, mm-hmm. and I think it's one of the smartest things LeBron's done is that the people that he has on his team, quote-unquote, are his friends from high school. Yeah. And it doesn't mean every friend of yours deserves to be in this right, position. Right, right, right. You
0: don't need to have your weed carrier also be, like, yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Spliff star is not on the squad. <laughs> but it's, it's like... You know, Raf had the qualifications. He's also an attorney. Yes. You know, and he does really, really well as an attorney. I'm the only client he has. He's literally, me and him, he's like my Tom Hagen. He's like, I have one client. I That's it. Raf is my guy and we do everything together, every single deal. Uh,
0: have you ever been tempted to, to part ways with him?
1: You know, when I moved to LA for a few months, we didn't work together and I hired a Hollywood manager. We did it together. We thought about it because he's like, I can't be there with you. Yeah. You know, he's like, go ahead, do this. It's fine. And um, yeah, Raph, that was a tough time. LA you know? was a tough period, though, it wasn't was it? was really hard. But you know what's funny? Mm. I had this other manager, and it, he was terrible. He was Why? terrible. I what remember, are the
0: signs where you're like, oh, fuck this? The
1: managers don't want to work. The mm. managers that tell you, my job is to make connections for you. My job is to just open doors for you.
0: I hate that shit. It's like vague producer title, executive producer type yeah.
1: people. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, like in the industry, people think it's fair. In my mind, as me as a human being, I'm like, you think you deserve fifteen percent because you open the door? Fuck you. Yeah. I you're did not the trying work.
0: to. You're not trying to pay a broker for fucking everything.
1: Yeah. If you're not going to work with me, if you're not going to be in the lab, like I'll go kick in the door by myself. You know, Mm -hmm. I know where I want my product to go and I will go there and I will roll up on that office and I'll bring my screenplay or my book or whatever. And that's what me and Raph do. (laughs) You know,
0: They're like, how did you get in here? You're like, don't matter. Here, read this.
1: Yeah. And so I had this manager that I thought was going to like roll up his sleeves and help out. And literally on the phone, he's like, that's not what I do. Because one night I was like, yo, we got to do this like pitch for a pilot you come over to the apartment let's work on this together and he's like that's uh, that's not what i do like you work on it and you bring it back and i'm like you know what fine i'm sure it's industry standard for you to laugh at someone like me you're fired oh
0: was he like i can't believe my bluetooth headset
1: yeah (laughs) like what is this it was a salty little breakup but i was like you know what man like fuck Don't ever stun on me. Yeah, seriously. I worked for what I got.
0: Well, they also, that's the thing, like going back to your advice of like, don't just accept what's given to you, like infrastructure wise, like they all try to sun you as a power move. That's like the alpha role bullshit where they're like on that, like you'll never work in this town again. And you're basically saying that's all farcical and it's crap. Yeah. If you're talented.
1: Yeah. And so my, you know, Ra- Raf is just, he's there with me all the time. Like whatever I need, like we go over the screenplays together. He reads the book 10 million times.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: He's the fucking best. And it's because we're a fam. Yeah. It's a family business. You know, Bauhaus is run by Stephen Lau, who was in the original Fresh Off the Boat book. He he was the first one to sell sneakers with me. And so he now sells Bows. And Evan, my brother, came from Orlando. We did it. It's like... It's all in the fam, Mary. We work together on a show. We did it's, indeed. We're fam, you know. It you have to have family around because whether it goes good or bad, they're gonna be there after.
0: Yeah, sometimes it goes bad. <laughs> it Goes
1: bad, and we're still friends. Totally. Do you know what I mean, totally. It's cool, but so, that's when you know you're real friends. You know, like we've had our moments and we've beefed, but it's like you know what the friendship was like much bigger than anything else.
0: Also, you know, it's tough. The thing about working with family, I think, and we know, is that like emotions run high people really care you know and they really ride for you and like that's a lot of pressure but it's like it's because they love so hard
1: yeah and you also don't want to look bad in front of your fam so totally that's a a whole thing would you you so
0: you you would give the advice to definitely work with your family
1: i think yes you you have to put yes i think it is very important to work with your family but then it's also very important to put them in positions where they can succeed and then also to not give them expectations that they cannot fulfill. Yeah, and because you're a tough boss. Yeah, I'm super tough. Yeah, and one thing I have, you know, I have a friend that works with me on Wong's, and I tell him all the time, "Your proximity to me is not going to make your job easier." So when we're at work, just focus on work. Yeah, you know, when we're friends and we're out, we can be friends. But like,
0: who is this quality from your mom or your dad? It might be a hybrid to me, to be honest, because you're not a micromanager. But you're, no. you have really high standards with a knowledge of what it takes to get there and yeah. you have no problem asking for it.
1: I am a tough boss. I expect a lot of people, but I'm always there for them. That's true. And and my thing that I do with people is is I say, here is the vision. Here are the goals. Here is how I think you're going to get there. If you want to get there in a different way, tell me. We'll talk about it. If I disagree with you and you still want to get there that way, you go ahead. But if you're wrong, you're going to, it's not gonna be fun, Yeah, you know? And so, for instance, on Wong's Road, I have a very good friend that works with me. I told him, hey, I don't want a narrative in the pre-pro. When you pitch an episode, just give me the facts, give me the links, tell me how it's gonna work. I can figure out how the narrative's gonna go by looking at these scenes. This kid was very intent on writing up a narrative, and it was almost like a creative writing pitch. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want a creative writing pitch. He's like, no, I- I'm gonna do it my way. He did it his way. You know, I didn't end up talking to him for like two months. I you know, went through our other AP and I was like, Look, he's gonna report to you because I don't like reading the type of writing and pitch that he does. So he's gonna send it to you. You're gonna take out all of his creativity, and then you're gonna give it to me, and then we're gonna make an episode.
0: So he was basically treating you like talent?
1: Uh he was treating me like a reader on Amazon. Right. Like I'm buying a book. Right. I was like, I'm not buying a book. Pre-pro for the show. This is an instruction manual for how we're going to go make the show.
0: So I'm going to tell you how I want to do it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And my thing is all I want to know is who's the guest. Give me background on the guest. Give me the activity that we're doing and then the schedule and then we'll, we'll figure it out. That's
0: what's tough about TV. I mean people have like presuppositions about like what Hollywood is like but it's like the military. People yeah. have a way that they like doing things, and then they have rank and file, and each rank is very specific, and those job descriptions are very specific, and they're usually all white, and they get some type of way when you're like, no, I don't want to do the prescribed sort of like, you know, structure that you're putting on me, yeah, also and it makes them it, nervous. It's,
1: yeah, television is a team sport, Yeah, and look- the the thing with this kid is he wanted to have so much ownership and control and it was very ego with him like oh, this is my episode yeah. yeah and i was like fam you know what i love you it's not your episode and fy it's never going to be your episode <laughs> thunder <laughs> yeah and it was like it's really funny we're still really good friends sure. he's like he's one of my best friends in la but i like him and he's still on the team and he's one of the most valuable guys because i can talk to him like this mm. because he wants to win like that kid wants to win. So I keep him around. And not just keep him around. He earns his spot with sure. me. And um, yeah, with TV, the thing is, it's like people get precious at every step. And there may be an editor that really wants to own the episode. There yeah. may be the AP. There may be an EP. And you know what? You just got to gotta fight for it. So I do respect this guy for fighting. right? Because that's what you have to do. I fight for it. But... It's my show, so everybody else is gonna lose. Yeah.
0: Totally. <laughs> Guess what? Yeah. But you
1: know what? I I encouraged him, and he went and he did other shows where there isn't somebody like me that has such a firm kung fu grip mm. on what the show is gonna be and how we're gonna do it. And he's gotten more freedom and things like that.
0: Maybe but he learned a lesson about managing up different types of people. Also, he did. Yeah. He totally. learned a
1: huge lesson, but he comes back to me and he's like, "Yo, I missed the intensity of Wong's World, and I'm coming back." Because, oh shit. Yeah. He's like, I learned the most with you. I learned the most because like, so I'm he a focused it. task. Yeah, we're focused. And he's like, yo, when I'm on the show with you, we're playing for something. We're playing to win. We're playing to get a championship. He's like... When I'm over other places, yeah, they let me have my opinion, but it's because they're not in it like 100 like you are.
0: Is that a big part of being the boss to have that sort of like to like have that Kool Aid, not to be like on some Jim Jones shit, but like to be like, listen, this is the vision.
1: Yeah, my yes, my thing is is that you know I sound like I'm just a control freak, but if you talk to the the people that work on the show, they'll be like, it's actually very democratic how we get to the solutions and what we're doing. But I require everyone, if you have an opinion, you're going to explain why, and you're going to have to debate with me why, and you're going to have to convince all of us.
0: You're such a lawyer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That is the legal training. It's everything has to be logical and reasonable. And there's a lot of prep that goes into it because, you know, we don't overreach. And my big thing is it's like don't overwrite it don't try to tell me what's going to happen in this country before we go there mm, tell me actually, the actually that's interesting yeah. so
0: that's probably really different for a travel
1: show because yeah. it really
0: is like ba hit this mark you know hit yeah. this note da, da, da. this People, is the theme let's f- retrofit it into the theme
1: yeah everyone on the show has like a guest that they're rooting for like that's the guest I want to see or this is the activity I want to see and I'm like alright battle royale everybody why this one? Why that one <laughs> there can one? be
0: why? only one yeah, yeah Highlander shit yeah
1: but when somebody starts to like use their creative writing persuasive skills i'm like no 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 chill Chill. fam. (laughs) talk like this isn't about you trying to win this one like who is the best for this show put the show ahead of all of us and that's my thing i put the show ahead of me and everybody i'm like which ones are the guests we only get to see six
0: yeah
1: who are the six people in this country that we gotta see
0: so every fuck Every fucking person in the entire universe wants a travel show. <laughs> and it's one of those things that people really think that they can do if they just yeah. got the ch- shot or the chance or whatever, the platform. How hard is it to make a travel show?
1: It's super hard. I bet. The book is the most personally hard, mm-hmm. mentally hard, but physically, like the physical nature of the travel show and The team sport aspect, dealing with all the moving pieces, you deal with the network, you deal with EPs, you deal with showrunners, and it's everyone has to sign on for the same goal. You have to all buy in. And we have one vision for the show. We have one goal. We can all debate and disagree about how we're going to get there. But the one thing I will never let go is the goal of this show. You know, this is the through line. People are more similar than they are different. Go. You know? Right.
0: How many emails a day do you get?
1: Oh man, I got, I don't know. I don't count. I have so, I have thousands unread, you know? <laughs> I'm one of those people who's just like, I just keep going. I don't even delete. Them. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not reading this, go, you know? But it's, yeah, it's a lot of How it's taxing a lot of is your
0: life right now?
1: It's good. I just turn it off. you know, How do you do I've that? got the confidence now where I can just turn it off. And sometimes, you know, People are pretty understanding. They know how much I'm doing, and I call, "Hey, I'm tired. Can't do it."
0: What do you do for self care?
1: Oh, I use La Mer. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's where you're at. Yeah. When, Amazing. The, when the European currency crashed, my first instinct in the in the airport in Istanbul was to buy. Let me get all this duty free Lemaire. Yeah, because like that day when the currency dropped and it was like dollar for dollar, euro to U.S. Yeah, I was just like, they haven't changed the prices on this Maire and I bought a ton of it. I love that this is how
0: your brain works yeah.
1: all the time. Yeah.
0: So you're back in New York now. Yeah. How does that feel? It's, it's like great. a it, talk about reverse great. migration. Like a lot of people are moving out west. We moved back yeah. here after being in L. A.
1: Just you know what, man? Like, do people that move to L. A. And they stay? You're always like, I always knew you were that guy. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was out there and everyone knew that he's coming home. Yeah. He's coming home. Totally. Uh, I, I'm still going to keep my crib out there. In the in the boo. In Malibu. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to go right there. And like also it's near the vice office and then we're going to do like a Bauhaus out there. And so. So that's I'll happening. That. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. But um, my thing is, man, it's a whole different energy in New York. And I think the last two years I did a lot of work. I wrote a ton of shit. Yeah. I wrote a screenplay. I wrote multiple screenplays. I wrote the book. And I just need to live. I need to live. I need time back in New York. And I just want my life back in a lot of ways because I've been in a crucible in L.A. for two years.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I quote you all the time on this, which is that you call L.A. being in rehab, which is what yeah. it feels like. You just work like a demon.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like it's not really enjoyable. You're just working on yourself and you know it's good for you. So it's, you're like doing it. <laughs>
0: it's like penance or something. Yeah,
1: and you love New York so much more when you come back. And that's you'll never true let it go so i so, love new york
0: what do you say about the criticism that like artists can't be in new york
1: first of all anytime when someone makes like a blanket big statement, statement <laughs> like that it's like yeah whatever go write for an online publication you relax your balls yeah, sir yeah. yeah write for a daily blog
0: but do you, think that this, <laughs> do you think that this place still breeds like culture and
1: yeah yeah i mean it's a walking city you know, like I think being in a walking city is no so kidding. Important. that
0: hermetically sealed l a car shit is crazy making
1: yeah. l a is like you have to go pick out a needle in a haystack, right? Mm. New York things just happen to you. yes, it's, it's the not best. your choice. yeah, you know, And I think it's very cool in New York because, you know, your choice in a lot of ways concerning what you're exposed to is taken out of your hands. And so, Things that you may not know you would like or be interested in, it they hit you, they just run up on you, and it's great.
0: And also, I feel like we're constantly um, around young people. Like we can hang out with like a twenty-four-year-old at a party, and it's no thing. Like, and in your case, you might be dating them. Just kidding.
1: Yeah. Um, true no story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like you always like meet the next wave of the culture, and like in LA. Every certain parties I'll be at I was like yo first of all everybody's white which is so sus to me Yeah. second of all everyone's around the same age everyone kind of like has dogs everyone's kind of doing the same thing and that's weird and so it's like you know I say this about San Francisco that it's like when white people have no natural predator it's like people aren't really looking over their shoulders in a way that people do in New York that keeps you sort of nimble and hungry LA's
1: scene so to speak too is not democratic it's very one percenter like the parties you go to, whatever, even the kids that look grimy went to private school. Sure, yeah. You know, and they're
0: all trust fund kids. They're yeah, all in the, the entertainment low. business. Yep. And
1: the issue is it's a town built on one industry. It's one entertainment industry running that whole thing. Yeah. New York, you know, I see my barbers at parties, you know, like and they're not celebrity barbers. Right, right, you right. know? I see my barbers at parties. I see the dudes from the coffee shop at parties. I see whatever. Like it's just anyone, anybody can get it. Anybody can get it in New York. In L.A., it's very, very segregated.
0: Totally. Racially, class. It's yeah. actually insane. So, you know, you are, I mean, you're a celebrity now.
1: I think so. You're kind of famous. No, it's funny because I think
0: you're my friend who, during the time that we were friends, I was like, oh, yeah, he's fam. Everybody knows him, da 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 And yeah. then it's like, oh, shit, he's starting to be recognized. And then it was like, oh, shit, like, random white people who you would never guess know who you are. Now that you're here, do you have friends who are, like, salty?
1: Oh, I think there are people that are salty, but they're not my friends anymore.
0: Right. Is right? that something that you consciously had to deal with?
1: Yeah. The last few years is... The last, you know, right after Fresh Out the Boat, the book came out in 2013. It was harder. It was really hard that year. Yeah. And that's when I had that, like, weird panic attack that starts off the book because um, I ate too much weed. But... um Nah, I feel like some people, the the ones that were jealous, the ones that like wanted to hang on for certain things, the types of hangers on, the ones that were never my friends to begin with, they're kind of like, he left the building. Right. You know, like I have no proximity to them anymore, but all my good friends, I don't think it's changed our relationship at all. You you kind of one of my only good friends that asked me about it, which is good, you know. Like, well, it's, it's interesting because you that's your brain. You think about it. You well, know? and
0: also actually, it's one of these things that I would deal with celebrities on such a frequent like basis, just in terms of the type of work I do. Yeah. And some people are fucking um, really fragmented. Yeah. About how they want to be treated. Some in people want to be
1: treated like celebrities. I yeah. think what I've done is the inverse, which is I'm like I'm actually much more proactive about hanging out and asking my friends to hang out and never letting them feel like I'm too busy.
0: Mm. Like, you know, I st- we yeah, got the
1: wifey's group chat I started, yeah, totally. right? The group chat's great, because yeah. I was like, I don't see my homegirls that much anymore. And I was like, let's get us all on a group chat. No, and I'm it's gonna great. <laughs> we, go to,
0: we go shopping together. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's fun.
0: Are you at that point where, like, crazy people are asking you for things all the time? Or you're, like, distant family members, like, showing up being, like, It was XYZ? happening, like,
1: the last few years. Mm-hmm. and But I think it's settled out, because I think, <laughs> I think people understand and they get the sense, they're like, hey, he's not going to respond.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. People learn quickly. Yeah. Like, um,
1: for instance, there's a basketball run I go to, and it's a really good friend of mine that runs it. And two years ago, a year ago, every time I go, like, it felt like there was a photographer there.
0: Oh, shit. I mean, there yeah. was a
1: photographer right. there. It didn't feel like it. it. was like, he had a photographer Literally there. Literally there, yeah. I was like, motherfucker, this isn't fun anymore, yeah. you know? But then I just stopped going for a while, and he got the hint. And I think that next time I go, there probably won't be a photographer, you know? true so it's weird people do weird like shit
0: sun Tzu shit though Yeah. You're like you know what's gonna
1: happen <laughs> stop coming but you know what people figure it out and if they care about you and they really want you in their lives they'll just go back to the way you guys were as friends yeah and that's fine what is like
0: the most i bet you have kind of a low-key like emotional fan base because like they didn't see someone like them out there and now they have this person like you know, and so they have opinions and they feel very passionately about it. What's, like, the most emo fan moment you've ever had?
1: I mean, there's a lot. There's do people funny like ones. Do you,
0: people, like, send you, like, deep introspective, yes. like, yeah. f- mail and yeah. shit? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. The DMs are super funny. <laughs> the DMs are funny. It's from, like, what you think is in the DMs to, like, really, really touching shit, like, kind of sad stuff where someone, you know... They talk about death or losses in the family or like things they've gone through and they're like, I know you don't know me but I just want you to know I don't want anything from you but like you affected me and like there's nobody else that's affected me in this way and I've been dealing and carrying this. And so, you know, it's a lot. I used to respond to everybody up until a few months ago and I was just like, man, it's too much. I can't carry all of this. And now I just really focus on the work and I'm like, look, if the work touches you, fantastic. You don't need a personal touch. I don't. I don't owe you that.
0: I thought for sure you're gonna say pause or something. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. But like, I think that's another thing that people sort of going back to your thing about how you think love is really, really important, and how some people might be like, that's that's surprising to me or ironic to me. You're really emotional and you're really sensitive. Yeah. And I feel like maybe people don't know that. And like, I think that when someone slides up in your DMs on some like you know, problem shit. Like, you really, you really think about that.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest misconception of me is that I think I'm tough. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Is that people, are, oh, he's acting tough, or yada, yada, yada. And it's like, for the most part, I'm being funny a lot of the times. But, you know, I had to learn to be tough because... I was the only Asian cat in most of the schools I went to in Orlando. I was always picked, like, weird shit happened to me. Like, I was pushed down a slide when I was, like, in kindergarten or first grade, broke my arm. You know, like, I was pushed down on the floor and called a chink in third grade. Like, uh, just lots of violence. I've been around a lot of violence. And that's
0: not even counting every single microaggression that you had to put up with.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of shit, and I don't have enough time to catalog it on the podcast, but there's a lot, and... I'm actually, I'm a, I'm a sensitive dude and I think that a lot of people that we see as tough guys or whatever, I've gotten to know them and it, it's usually sensitive people that have to create this crunchier exterior. Right. That veneer, know? yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, it's funny. I feel like the people who don't get it just because they're one note, they're kind of basic. Simple People are complex, you know, like it's... Uh, you know, you may only see certain parts of people because that's what they choose to put on television or mm-hmm. whatever. But, like, people are pretty complex. I think deep down we're all very emotional. True. Yeah. So,
0: last question. You're fucking prolific. You, you like, make shit all the time. What is the next thing that you really want to do?
1: Uh, I want to make movies. So I've yeah. been writing screenplays and stuff like that. I really, you know, movies are the things as a kid I really, really liked.
0: Are they autobiographical or are they...
1: No, they're not autobiographical. They may, you know, I think that anytime you write, you have to write from an experience that you had. Sure. But they're they're fictional characters. I'm into fiction now, so um, yeah, I've given up a lot of myself. Nonfiction and it's very expensive. Yes, you know? emotionally and so, psychologically. Yeah, I'm 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 creating stories and characters, and I'm doing it with film, and I'm excited. Sounds good. Yeah.
0: I'm excited for you.
1: Yeah, it's going to be fun. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for coming to Red Bull. (laughs) Proud sponsor. Love them. Bye, Sprite. All right. (laughs) I'm in love with my
1: life.